You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost, and they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars, and they can be found on Twitter at SexyLifeCoach, Instagram at SexyLifeCoach, and you can book them via their website, Haley Jade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun, sexy, romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients, Haley Jade is the one for you. Book them now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 
10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to adameve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in dark pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on all things disability. I am your disabled Dick Smith, your crippled threat, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this Thursday edition of Disability After Dark started. First things first, Disability After Art listeners, as always, I'd like to give a shout out to the people who support the show and put their hard-earned dollars to keep the bright light shining on issues of sex and disability and disability in general by supporting this show. And I'm going to do that today. And so let me pull up some new Patreon folks that have supported the show. Let me get their names right now. The first person that I want to give a shout out to is... Matilda Morrison, who pledged who pledged $5 a month to get the show one day early, and they wanted a shout-out. So I'm going to give them a really cool shout-out, and I'm going to give them... The minute I saw your name, your name is Matilda. The minute I saw your name, I thought of that scene in Zoolander where he was like, Matil, can I call you Matil? So, Matil, thank you so much for your pledge. It means so much, and I hope... That you love the show. Thank you, thank you. And because you pledged, this means you're listening on our Patreon feed for the show on Wednesday instead of Thursday. And I hope you enjoyed your weird shout-out for me where I called you Matil. But thank you so much. If you want to pledge to the show and you want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash disability after dark and you can pledge as little as one dollar a month or as much as five dollars a month or more to keep the bright light shining on the show thank you so much for for always supporting this work it means so so much to me thank you thank you also just want to shout out a brief reminder that next week is our official 200th episode of this show like I said in previous episodes, we've we've well surpassed the 200th episode with the Minnesotes and different bonus episodes and things like that. We've well surpassed the 200th episode, but I'm excited that officially this will be the official 200th episode next week. 
And I've decided that it's going to be a surprise episode. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go I'm going to go back to the beginning, if you will. So I'm excited for that. So get ready for that next next Thursday. Um, if you want to write in or send a voice memo about what the show means for you and what these last 200 episodes have taught you, or if you want to just send in why the show is important and why you want it to continue, that'd be great. You can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. But now, let's get on to today's show. On the program today, I sit down with my new friend, Go Ask Alex, who is a chronically ill, disabled sex worker and porn performer. And we sit down and talk about her experiences with disability and what it means for her to have kind of owned the label of being disabled within the last year. We talk a little bit about her experiences of being an ostomate, somebody with an ostomy. Um, We talk about kind of our mutual experiences of trying to be sexy while having bowel pain because as many of you know I live with also not only cerebral palsy but also I live with irritable bowel syndrome and a lot of chronic bowel issues that make my day-to-day stuff really fun and make me feel often feel very unsexy so we have a nice chat about that and I really enjoyed sitting down with Alex and talking about what it means to be a content creator while trying to manage disability and while trying to manage your energy levels and also we kind of talked about how they how they advocate for people for the normalization of disability in porn we have a lot to discuss in this episode it's really fun to sit down with Alex and I always love sitting down with other disabled people and just talking and this was a great moment where we could do that. I love being able to be really direct about my disabilities and some of the things that I go through as somebody with irritable bowel syndrome and stuff like that along with cerebral palsy and to sit down with Alex and do that was really fun. So I'm really thankful that we got to do that and it was a really fun important interview with her talking about content creation of sexual content and being a sex worker while also trying to be disabled. It was a really important conversation. So I'm going to stop rambling and bring you into episode 199 of Disability After Dark. Go ask Alex. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. I'm really excited to have you because I follow your Twitter and you have a lot of interesting things to say and so it's nice to sit down with you. Same it's nice to finally put like a voice to the name although I have listened to I think one or two of your podcast episodes already but it's still always really nice to be able to actually have a dialogue with somebody that you follow. It totally is and I thank you so much for sitting down today. So before we get started can you introduce yourself who you are, what you do, your pronouns, your disability identifiers, and then we'll get started. Yeah, great. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Go Ask Alex or Alex. Um, I'm an adult entertainer. I'm a sex worker. Uh, I create adult content on the internet, and I also have a disability. I'm an ostomate, ostomate. I'm not sure how you say it, uh, but I'm a person with an ostomy. I have an ileostomy, which I had, I've had this now for just over a year and prior to that I lived with a chronic illness essentially from birth up until when I had the surgery a year ago so uh, I've had my disability I I technically say I've had a disability for a year but chronic health health issues uh, my entire life 
and how and then one of the things you wrote about in your in your in the the forum was that you you know you're just coming into the idea of being a disabled person and kind of kind of navigating disability what has that been like for you in the first year of like first of all welcome to the club <laughs> as a lifelong you. disabled person i can say hello your handbook will be in the mail uh, <laughs> but how does it feel for you to kind of navigate that and navigate calling yourself disabled and like what has that journey been like for you right um i it's been intense i mean it has been a really challenging but also rewarding experience and i say that um with obviously I think a lot of privilege as well, because for me to be able to say that, oh, my disability has made my life better in some ways, uh, I think comes from a place of a lot of privilege, uh, because I do feel that it has given me some mental space and almost taken a weight off of my shoulders. I was dealing with health problems my entire life. And so to finally be able to just say, you know, I have a disability and this is what it looks like um, has in a way been freeing. But in another way, it has obviously been really challenging physically and emotionally. And there's been a ton of adjustments that I've had to make in my life and that are ongoing. Uh, and it's also caused me to have to confront, uh, I would say, maybe some internalized ableism or um, it's, it's caused me to confront things I didn't know that I felt about myself and my body. So it's been, there's been a lot of layers to it, but yeah. I mean, overwhelmingly, I feel really happy and healthy. So I'm grateful for that. It sounds to me like you, you know, you being able to give your disabilities a name and give them something that you can say, see, I wasn't just, I wasn't lying to you. I wasn't playing games. It was a real thing. Like, see, see, like, I think when you say that it's, change your life for the better in some ways. I think that's a really powerful statement too, because we don't often hear that narrative and me working in disability too often. My narrative has been like, I love my disability, but there are five things I wish that I could change. So to hear you say kind of outright, Hey, in, in, in a lot of ways, my disability is a positive for me, I think is a really powerful statement for other people to hear. Yeah. Like yeah. it's something we don't often hear a lot about. So uh, thank you so much for bringing that to light. And I've, sp I've spoken with two other people with, ostomies before and I deal with a lot of tummy stuff myself um so I know the joys of that whole part of disability it's super fun <laughs> super super fun yeah um, really fun to like talk about <laughs> yeah it's so fun to bring it into the public sphere um but you also do you mentioned that you do sex work and you're an adult performer how before you kind of stepped into owning and naming disability how ha how was how did disability play a role in your sex life before you kind of gave it the title of I'm a disabled person right so you mean uh like maybe before my surgery yeah or like uh and and do you do you mean more so in my personal sex life or in like my professional sex life whatever side of that you want to share right um well, my my disability before my surgery was invisible and it took a different form, which is why I often refer to it as a chronic illness rather than a disability. But right. I mean, that's just how I referred to it in, in my own terms. Obviously, I would never tell anyone else how to identify their bowel disease. But for me, it was 
invisible and it wasn't something that I talked about a lot uh, in my professional capacity. I, I did, you know, have personal sex partners who knew about my illness, but there's a difference between knowing that you have a disease, knowing that you have an illness, and then actually understanding what it means to have a chronic illness. And I do think that it affected my sex life because I would go through bouts of having really serious flare-ups and that would affect my sex life. I, you know, when I was in pain and having digestive problems, I didn't feel very sexual. I didn't feel um, interested in engaging sex. It also affected the way that I view my body as somebody who has digestive problems to gain and lose weight, to experience bloating and different physical symptoms that you can see caused some insecurity. So I think that the mental aspect of it really affected my sex life in that way. Yeah, definitely. And I can relate in that I have also have chronic bowel stuff and IBS and I have stuff that that is similar in the pain and the digestive stuff. And like a couple of weeks ago when we had planned to originally do this, I was in the hospital for a bowel infection. So I know quite acutely the, the pressure to like, like I really want to get off today or when I want to be sexual today, my body just won't let me do that. And that can be really stressful, but I can imagine when you're trying to be a content creator and you're trying to, you're trying to like build a brand around, sex and disability quite literally in your case it can be hard to how do you play that character when your personal your your body is just saying no no you can't today like did that is there a pressure to or was there a pressure to like push through and just be sexy even though you were like I feel gross yeah yeah definitely I mean I did live webcam shows for the past six years and during that time, I've gone through some pretty serious flare-ups and trips to the hospital and trying different um, drugs that I hadn't tried before to try and treat my disease before surgery. And so there'd be periods of time where, I mean, I couldn't even leave the house because my symptoms were so severe that like, I couldn't walk to the store um, just to get groceries. So I would be stuck in my house. And during that time, I was still trying to do my live webcam streaming shows it would just mean having to run off of cam several times in a show to use the washroom to be sick. And there have been times even since surgery that I've had to leave my, you know, live streaming shows to go throw up or something to that effect because I felt so sick. Um, it is not something that I shared with my fans or viewers, the people that were watching me, but there was definitely pressure to perform despite how I might be feeling and not only with digestive symptoms but also things like anemia fatigue other side effects to the disease that I had and I mean that I mean I've I've done I've I've dabbled in porn and just you know even trying to set all the setups and all the stuff that you just do to have a porn shoot minus disability that takes time but when you add it factor in all the things that disability brings to it like that's the pressure of like because I was working with a non-disabled actor the pressure of not wanting to put them out or make them feel like oh my god I have to work with this quote-unquote alien of a person like how do I how do you so have you ever worked with scene partners and you've had to be like 
I don't know how to make you like trying to find a way to make them comfortable with what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have been really lucky in that everyone that I've worked with since my surgery has been really excited to work with me and really like on board with what I'm doing and really understanding and really patient. And everyone has asked me what, what they can do to support if there's anything that I need. People have been really open and really patient and, and willing to learn. So I haven't really had any experiences where I actually externally received any kind of feedback like that, but I do feel like I project it sometimes this fear that maybe they're thinking something strange about my body or that they're not comfortable or that they don't really want to be doing this. And so I think if anything, it's just a projection of my insecurities about maybe not being normal, you know, or sexy enough to work with somebody who isn't, who doesn't have my disability. Yeah. And I I think that feeling of projection you talk about, like I do it all the time. I'm constantly when I work with sex workers that I work with, my my regular worker, I'm constantly saying like, hey, do you think my disability makes me attractive? And they're like, Andrew, shut up. You're attractive. I'm here with you. Like, we're going to do the things. It's fine. If I if, if I didn't want to, I wouldn't. And I have to be like, but are you sure? Because like, my disability makes me feel weird all the time. And like, you look like you and I look like this. And so like, are you sure that it's, and they, they constantly have to be like, you're fine. Just enjoy what we're doing. And if I didn't like it, I would tell you. Right, right. Right. That's so true. So very true. Um, Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, with work, like you said, and um, with dating, like I'm a single woman and I enjoy dating multiple people. I mean, not currently, obviously, as we're in the middle of the pandemic and I'm not out there (laughs) dating multiple people or anything like that. But uh, pre-pandemic, I enjoy having multiple sex partners and being non-monogamous and uh, I don't know. I feel like when you're having sex with someone, you know, they're having sex with other people. You kind of wonder like, am I less attractive because of this? Like, am I less attractive than the other people that you're sleeping with? Because I have this disability that makes me different from everyone else. And how do I compare to other people who don't have a disability? And it is the same way in pornography as well. I think, like you said. And how do you, as a performer, like does do those feelings of projection like are they lessened because you're like this is a job I'm gonna just power through I'm gonna not feel that as much because I get to I get to slip into this character more and so that fear has to dissipate because when I'm a character I can't think about how I'm feeling about this like I have to play this role do you feel like when you're working as a performer it's less than or do you feel like it's a different level of pressure Well, a lot of my content is content that I self-shoot and self-produce. So when I'm filming something, I might not necessarily feel insecure or focused on this part of my body, especially if I'm filming with somebody else and we're just sort of focusing on what we're doing. But in post-production, when I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm editing the content, I mean, I'm taking maybe an hour worth of footage and trying to narrow it down to 15 minutes. And so there's a lot of content there that is maybe unflattering or where my body is just not what I want it to be. And I have to stare at that and edit it and spend a day going over the footage again and again and again. So I feel like 
it does sometimes get to be a lot when I'm looking at my disability, I'm performing in my disability. And then afterwards I'm looking at the footage of that and editing that down for several hours. And that can be definitely challenging. Uh, and that can bring up, I think, a lot of that projection and that judgment that we spoke about. Yeah, and that internalized ableism, I'm sure, because like, to be fair, I've watched my porn maybe three times since I shot it, and I've only shot the one, and I want to do more. But I'll be honest with you, I probably would never watch myself doing it because I would have the same feeling you have of like, oh my God, there's my disabled body and what is happening? And like, oh, like nobody wants to see that. Like, It's, it's surprising how quickly the internalized ableism comes out when you have to see yourself and have to see your disabled body engage in sex. And one of the things I like about what you do is you advocate for the normalization of disabled bodies in porn. And so like, so do I, but it's really hard to watch yourself as a disabled person. I mean, I think anybody, but especially as a disabled bodied person to see yourself in porn. Cause part of you, part of, well, at least when I watch myself, I'm like, Oh, that's really, you know, like that's so important and iconic and like that's necessary. And, I'm so proud of it, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm a disabled person doing that. Like, oh, did anybody gonna want to watch that? So, like, I'm very critical of myself. Yeah. Oh, totally. And you know, I like you said, I think that watching yourself perform is awful for anybody. <laughs> like, like even before I had my ostomy, editing my own content was painful. I feel like. I need like I need an alcoholic drink to get through it. I don't actually drink, but like I feel like I need that. I feel like I I feel like I need somebody else to look through it, even for anybody who doesn't have a disability to you know to a disabled body to to look to watch themselves have sex. Like it's not always flattering, right? These professional porn videos that we see on the internet are. I mean, like they're edited, they're professionally like, yeah, filmed. They've got super so much edited. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I don't have necessarily a, you know, a perfect porn star body, whatever that might look like, the conventional body. Right. And so even, I mean, even if I did, like sometimes the angles that you get when you're trying to self-shoot something, like the double chin, like it's just <laughs> not what you want to see. And so it's hard for anybody. But I think like you said, particularly when you might have internalized some of your feelings about disabilities and about your own disability and seeing it can be really hard to face and it can cause a lot of resentment for me when I see it and I think like hmm, yeah I mean this is fine but like wouldn't it look so much better if I didn't have this ostomy but then that is also part of the reason why I want to continue doing what I'm doing because of that feeling because I was never exposed to pornography with anything other than you know, this idealized body that we've for some reason decided is the perfect body, right? Yeah. I was never exposed to any pornography other than that when I was first exposed to porn. So those feelings that I get when I see my body and I think those negative thoughts are part of the reason why I think it's so important to create that kind of media. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's like, I, I love being in the public eye and I love doing what I do and I love talking about it, but I can't shy away from the fact that when I do it, when I shot my porn and I was with like my favorite sex worker and like one of my favorite adult performers and he agreed to do it and it was like really fun. And I, I, I cherish that moment cause we, cause you know, off camera he's just a big goof and we, we played around, but like 
to when I had to do it, I was like, I don't look like he looks. He's able to, to do, he knows how to do that. I'm just a guy with a big dick who wants to be in porn who happens to be in a wheelchair. How do I look? It was, it was really, it was so, it was both iconic, but also it was one of the hardest things I had to do because I kept being like, well, what if my disability gets in the way here? And like, what if the disability doesn't make it sexy? And like, what if it looks weird? And if, would anybody like buy this? And would it be, you know, is it going to be marketable? And it just, it was really all those things as we were shooting it, I was like trying to have sex and trying to enjoy myself and just be in the moment. But I was also like, Oh my God, it's being filmed. Oh my God. Someone's going to see this. Like, Oh no. Like it, 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 it scared me a lot because we don't disable people who want to work in sex work and do porn. And, and there are more, I mean, more and more I talk to people who want to do it, but there's, we have so little representation that all these thoughts creep in our head because we have no one to look at that's like, oh, I did it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sorry, there was something you said that I wanted to respond to, but now I can't remember what it was. I'm just trying to think through what you just said. Um, that you were... Yeah, I said a lot. I'm trying to be in the... Oh, yeah. I mean, what you what you said, I think, is really interesting because you mentioned that you were trying to be really in the moment while this was happening and focus on having sex, but also being in your first porn and knowing that it was filmed and going to be watched and consumed like I can't imagine going through that for the first time with my disability because I made my first porn videos six plus years ago I started doing live streaming years before I had my ostomy so for me going back to pornography was I mean I took a couple months off after surgery but then it it wasn't like starting this new thing it was like continuing this thing that i was already doing so i feel that in a way it was perhaps easier because i already had the experience i knew what it was like and it wasn't this new thing that i was trying for the first time after you know uh having a disability so i feel like it 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 might be a different dynamic there and i i think it it must have been such a mix of emotions to, to go to go through your you know your first porn already having a disability oh yeah like I I, I cried after it was done like he like the, the performer that I work with and he's my friend and we he's also my primary sex worker so like I, I definitely I never told him but when we were done and he left I cried because I was like not because I was sad I was very proud of what I did but I was like what just ha- like what I don't know what just happened. I did this. It's filmed. Like, what if people hate it? Like, what if it's great? Like, will they fetishize me? Like, there was all this stuff that I I talk about in my professional, like, persona already, but the stuff that I had was personally experiencing at the same time that I was like, how do I do this? And, like, I kept having to remind myself and say to myself, like, someone's going to see this and see how important it is. But at the same time, I was like, I don't care if it was important. It was, is it sexy? Like, is it fun? Like, yes, it's iconic, but will they see that I was enjoying myself? Like, will they see that he was too? Like, will they see, will the audience see him as a savior because he's not disabled and I am? Will they, will they put him on a pedestal and like disregard me? And, and some people did in the, in comments for the film, like some people wrote in and said, oh my God, John's so great. Like, it's so great that he was, putting you know he gave Andrew that experience and I had to write back and be like he did but I also gave him one too like I was there so it was a really it was a big 
transformation for me. And now I want to explore more. Like I want to find ways to make it sexier. I want to find ways to, to incorporate disability. And like on that note, when you do your porn now, and when you create your own stuff, are you finding it easier to share parts of your disabled experience with the audience? Uh, in what way? In what way do you mean um, to share it through my... Like, uh, to, do you, would you, like, would you ever find a, an, an instance when you're recording where you would say, like, hey, so this is my hot disabled body. I'm Go Ask Alex. Here's a, here's me messing around. Like, would you ever find a way to bring it into your porn? Right, like, to mention it and to, yeah, like, to, like, say, name hey, it. this is my body. Yeah. Um, I haven't done anything like that. I mean, I have made a few YouTube videos with questions and answers about my ostomy, and I'd like to make a few more videos, especially pertaining to sex and sexuality and um, what it's like having sex again after your ostomy, because I think that those are resources that are desperately needed and not provided by hospitals and doctors. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd love to make more resources like that that are publicly available at this point i haven't really talked about or even like nodded towards my ostomy in any of my videos i think that i'm just worried about the way that it could be fetishized as that's something that i'm really really not interested in and, and try and discourage as much as possible yeah. and I, I really i mean like you said i really just want um I want dis like people with disabilities to be represented in pornography because people who have disabilities watch and consume pornography and you know deserve to live their best sexually empowered lives. So for me, I think that at this point, talking about the fact that I have an ostomy, even in a non-sexual, non-fetishized way, um, before the start of a video, seems at this moment counterproductive to what I'm trying to do, but I do see what you're saying, you know, just maybe even starting a video by saying something like this is, you know, I'm Alex, this is my sexy disabled body. And like, this is how I like to touch myself. Yeah. Like, it's definitely um, an interesting idea. And perhaps I'm going to think about for the future. Although right now, like I'm still so fresh in having this body. I feel like it's something that I maybe I'm not quite ready to think about even talking about like I, I just like to ignore it and pretend it's not there <laughs> and that is how I create my content and I don't know if that's a healthy or unhealthy thing I mean I, it feels good for me right now so yeah good good I'm, I, it was just something that I would I, I thought might be interesting for you to explore but it's great that you kind of unpacked why you're not quite ready, quite ready yet. And I think that's also fair because disability for a lot of us is a journey. And it's something that like for me, because I'm a wheelchair user and I have a very visible, like instantly visible marker of like, you are disabled. This is your body. This is your experience. When I did it in my porn, like we did, we did this scene where <laughs> my partner and I played brothers and we did a scene where he like, when he comes into the scene, he says, oh, mom can't put you to bed tonight, but I can. So we played this like game where we're brothers and we ended up fucking, which, which was funny because, and we were able to use my disability to the advantage. Like the reason why he's there is as my brother to put me in bed. So that we got to play with it. 
and we had to play with it because how do you explain why like how do you explain in a playful way why there's like like a disabled person in the room so we got to play with it so that is awesome that is so awesome really fun and like and I've said this before what I loved about our scenes together and I I should send it to you afterwards because I love your like critique Mm -hmm. as a fellow performer what I loved about our scenes was that when we were looking at scenes to do together he and I sat down for three plus hours and looked at the way my body worked because we've we've had sex together before so he knew kind of how I how my body worked and he said okay well your body can't do this so this scene won't work and the wheelchair would have to be angled here and the camera would have to go here and like I loved the way that he as a non-disabled person was so invested in I want your disability to be a part of this and it was really it was just something that I will never forget having done because I am so wary of non-disabled people not really getting it and the fact that he was willing to sit down with me and figure it out to make it look good for both him and for me as a new performer was really like I'll never forget that. That's awesome. I, I love to hear that. And and to speak to what you said earlier, I mean, you mentioned that it was really emotional for you and afterwards that you even cried a little bit. And just to speak to that, I mean, I have also had experiences like that. I mean, I, I don't cry every time I shoot a video. That would be really probably emotionally draining. But, yeah. but I, I have cried after a few, especially ones that were maybe my first time doing something more explicit or something something a little bit more intense. Sometimes it can bring up a lot of emotions and a lot of vulnerability, even for someone who you know, doesn't have a disability or a visible disability. I think it can be a really emotional experience. And I think it's really healthy to just feel through that. And it's yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's almost like a catharsis. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I haven't, I've watched it once or twice since and I've, sent it to people that I was like hey you want to see how I fuck here's a great example of how I do that but like it it's really it's really it was really cool to know that people would be consuming a disabled body and finding ways to find that sexy without making it a fetish like right it, it wasn't and it was done really and because we got to shoot it in my home we got to shoot it on on like iPhones it was very it was very like low key and I like that because it wasn't stylized, it wasn't overly produced. It was like, here's a disabled guy and the guy he's fucking and they're gonna fuck in a bed for twenty minutes and you're gonna watch. Like it was very it was very much that and I appreciated that style. And speaking of like how you create your own content, do you find as somebody who you kinda of mentioned in your questionnaire that due to all the things you deal with, like, you know, chronic dehydration and all the things that you've had to, to manage given this, these disabilities do you feel like as a performer being able to pr- to produce things by yourself gives you a freedom to be disabled when you need to be and like gives you a freedom to decide on your schedule like oh I can film today because I'm not feeling so bad or oh I can't because I feel kind of gross I have to like does it allow for accessibility in this medium in a way you didn't think of before yeah absolutely um I mean I Sex work, the reason, one of the reasons that sex work has been accessible to me for so long, for six plus years, maybe seven years now, um, is just the fact that I can take time off whenever I need to, because Mm -hmm. I don't have a boss I have to call and say, hey, I can't make it into work today, I'm sick. I was constantly 
missing work uh, when I was working in, you know, civilian non-sex worker jobs. I was missing school when I was in school. It, uh, it was just like every day felt like a mountain to get through. And you can only take so much time off before your employer starts to think that maybe you have a poor work ethic, which was not true, but I think it was perceived that way. And so I was often passed up for promotions and lost opportunities because of the fact that I had to leave early or take unexpected days off. And it was just sort of all over the map. But now being my own boss and being in control of my own content and producing my own content, I can film when I feel good. I can lay in bed when I don't. If I need to, if I end up having, you know, like yourself, you had an obstruction. Like if that happens to me, I'm going to be able to leave work for, you know, a couple days or a couple weeks and I'm not going to lose my job because of it. Yeah. I might lose some fans on one of my um, subscription sites because of it. I might get some questions as to where I am, but realistically, I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to lose my income. Yeah. And I'm also able to earn passive income through my video sales. So I try and release a new video once a week, but I have a collection of videos dating back to right now, dating back to probably 2016 that I can still sell. And so even when I'm not creating, I have this library of videos, this gallery of videos that can make sales. And even if it's only a hundred bucks a month, 150 bucks a month that I'm earning. That's groceries. It's something, it's groceries, like you said, yeah. So having the opportunity for passive income has also been really helpful. Like film, 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 when I feel good, edit it all up and then cue it for once a week and try and get it queued as far in advance as possible so that if I do need to take time off for my illness or otherwise, I can do that without worrying about how I'm gonna feed myself. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think so many people who do cam work whether they realize it yet or not they probably have a lot of them have invisible disabilities and a lot of them have all these things and and so i i, I think that cam work and self-production of like being your own boss and kind of that's kind of why i started doing what i do as a freelancer not in porn but just as like a public facing person that wanted to talk about this stuff because in my kind of muggle job when i worked for a telecom company god almost like 15 years ago now um i would constantly have to navigate i can't be into work today because my incontinence device broke or i can't come into work today because accessible transit didn't work i can't come into work today because i'm feeling fatigued and it was so hard to explain to your employer that i can't do this and they would they would let you go but it was a huge giant favor to you that for them to let you off and it's like it wasn't a favor you're letting me survive like it's not you're not doing me a favor so like this kind of work where I get to work as a an activist and a freelancer and like I get to create my own content on my own timeline feels so much better great that's awesome I'm really happy for you and it it makes me it just makes me like I'm really excited also to like know that you like that you're also doing that, that you're able to put out stuff that is on your own schedule. And as somebody who I abhor schedules because my body doesn't allow me to adhere to them ever. So I hate them. And so to know that you get to like do stuff on your own schedule feels, it makes me really excited for your content because I kind of now know 
and everybody listening now knows how much work you put into doing it just so you it's not only like a sexy video it's also the way that go ask alex survives and mm-hmm. so i think that's also really important to mention that's a really beautiful way to put it i hadn't really thought about it that way um i, I just think it's i just think it's powerful to to it takes a lot of gusto i think to say i'm gonna shirk the everyday kind of work that everyone else is doing because a because i can't conform to that and b because i'm a creative person i want to do something fun and Mm. say okay let me try this and hope and see where it goes and oh let me try and also be a disabled person Mm -hmm. that's a whole other part of it too Um, yeah um you mentioned a little bit kind of feeling having the pressure and we kind of we kind of touched on this just now but i want to delve into it just a bit deeper you touch in you touch on the idea of like wanting to keep up a little bit with the other people in your industry do you feel this pressure still or are you is that starting to to be lessened it's definitely not lessened <laughs> um i i think i hold myself to a really high standard yeah. um and i put a lot of pressure on myself i'm very competitive and it's not always about being better than other people but it's about beating my best and constantly doing better for myself constantly improving and in a job in an industry where the work is never done that can be really exhausting and a little bit dangerous for your well-being because there's never an end date i mean if i run subscription sites those subscriptions go on indefinitely i need to make content indefinitely i need to have things scheduled indefinitely if i'm making new videos i need to make new videos indefinitely and when one video is done it's time to start the next video and there's never like a completion of any sort yeah there's never like stopping i feel the same way with this podcast like i love it it's great it's my baby it's my favorite thing to do i'm so proud of it but every like the minute i'm done recording i'm like okay the next what's the next one i gotta figure out the next one what's the next content like so and i feel the same pressure you do in that if i don't release an episode on a thursday and if i dared put out a statement that was like I can't release this week because I'm feeling disabled I would have somehow let my whole listenership down and so I get that feeling of like if I don't release this I failed this community that I'm supposed to be supportive of right and then as an extension of that it's like if I don't do this I've failed myself yeah and so I feel like I'm constantly striving to beat my goals, to do better. And I do hold myself to the same standard of other creators. Um, You know, whether it's like on my free cams, when I was camming, I would look at the way the models, the performers were ranked from one to 1000. And I would maybe be number 700. And I'd say, well, that, you know, I need to be number 500. And then when I was 500, I would say I need to be 200. When I was 200, I'd need to be 100. And then I need to be in the top 50. And like, I just constantly feel like I'm never enough. doing good enough. But then when I compare myself to other people and I realize that like actually every day is like climbing a mountain for me, I'm functioning off of less sleep. I'm functioning dehydrated. I'm functioning with less nourishment. I'm functioning having to stop several times a day. Like, I'm functioning without an organ that everybody else has. I realize that if I'm doing 
if I'm as successful as all of these other people with this disability, that's actually pretty incredible, but it is challenging. It's a, it's a constant struggle to remind myself of that and to go easy on myself when I am not as successful, whatever that, you know, air quote, successful, whatever that might mean yeah. as I want to be in a day. Yeah. And I, I will just kind of echo that with the podcast too. Like my podcast is not the biggest podcast. It's not the most successful. Like it doesn't have millions of subscribers. Like it does, it gets maybe, you know, a couple hundred listens every week to every episode, which is nice. Like seven or 800, which is pretty good. But That's I look at that, great. I look at that and I go, oh, well, it's not in the millions. Like it doesn't, right. it's not in the like upper thousands. Why? And I have to remember. Like, why does Dan Savage have more? Yeah. <laughs> like, where? where <laughs> exactly. Like where, where's my, where are my accolades? I work just as hard with me harder. Like where's, where? so it does, feel, I do definitely relate to you with the pressure. Um, one of the things that I do want to ask you about when I just recently had my obstruction surgery, I woke up from surgery. My very first thought was like, am I going to fuck again? Like, what if, like, what, what, if, I, they told me it was fine, but my very first thought as somebody who works in sex and disability was how am I going to incorporate this into my kind of world now? When you woke up from your surgery, did you, was one of your like second or third thoughts also like, Oh, how am I going to do that? Like how, how quickly from recovery to like having all that think time in the hospital where you're like, how am I going to do this now? Honestly, it wasn't even in my mind. Like I knew that I was going to return to sex work in some capacity, but I, and I was hoping I would return to full-time live webcam streams, which I, I mean, I haven't really, like I've been, it's, it's been like very reduced and my workload has changed dramatically from live webcam streaming more so to subscription sites because it's just more manageable for me now. But at the time that I had my surgery, um, I mean, I had had war. It wasn't like when I had obstructions and I was just raced to the hospital. Like perhaps you were, I don't know what the story is there. And I really hope that you're okay now, but I did have warning for the surgery and I, I had time to prepare and I, See, yeah, for me, they were like, they were like, oh, we're going to rush you in. Oh, by the way, you need surgery. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, are you okay now? Are you? Yeah, like, it's, it's you better now. They, yeah. I had gallbladder surgery eight years ago. And when you have any kind of stomach surgery, adhesions can happen, apparently, which they don't tell you about when you go. They don't tell you any of this. So you learn about it on Google and you go, oh, fuck. Well, I wish they would have just said. So, like, you can have these adhesions. And what happened was one of the adhesions got worse and then I woke up and I bought I was sick for like a couple hours and then they they people that I live with like the people that help manage my care said okay you're going to the hospital like we don't care if you think you're okay go to the hospital and then when I got there they were like okay yeah I need surgery yep like almost right away they're like yep surgery so I'm better now they said then I'm healing now but like yeah my very like second or third thought was when will I get to have sex again? Because mm-hmm. part of one of the things I enjoy about about my sexuality and my kind of brand of sexuality is that I get to explore sex as a disabled person. And I'm always worried when my body doesn't listen to me or doesn't do something that I'm prepared for, that that one thing that I enjoy so much 
which is already heavily restricted due to my catheter and due to my like being a wheelchair user and due to my only being able to have sex with sex workers because the average person is super ableist and like I, I love my sex workers because I've kind of trained them into how, what disability means and so I say all that to say like if my sexuality is taken away from me due to another part of my disability I would be worried that I would resent my disability and be really upset that like how dare you take this one thing of pleasure away from me yeah yeah that makes sense um I think it just wasn't on my radar um perhaps also because of I mean my anatomy I have a vagina and I know that when it comes to an ostomy when it comes to having your colon or rectum removed uh it can to my understanding there can be some side effects it it can affect your sexuality um and your you know your uh i don't know if performance is the right word because that sounds wrong that sounds wrong but um but but uh yeah your libido um but i think more so for people who have prostates as that can be affected and it can cause uh, erectile dysfunction as well um but that's not something that I have a lot of knowledge about because I have a vagina and that just, I was never given any information on how it would affect my sexuality regardless. Uh, but there are things to consider. Like I had my colon removed, but I still have my rectum. My rectum has, um, you know, I'm assuming it is cauterized at the top because uh, it's not attached to anything. But if I have penetration that is, perhaps facing in the wrong direction um, or a little bit too rough, then it could, you know, my vaginal wall is next to the rectal wall and that can cause some pain. Right. Especially if there's inflammation in there. Um, So penetration was not possible for a while after surgery, but I also wasn't interested in in any kind of sex for a while because I was in a lot of pain. Um, And also my core strength was very affected because I had six incisions through my abdomen, including one that was, I don't, an inch across, an inch in circumference, I guess. Like an inch circle chunk is out of my abdomen. And then that's where my, uh, my ileum comes through from my my stoma. And so my ab, my abdomen, my abdominal muscles were just like scrambled eggs. Like they were just, I couldn't clear my throat. I couldn't cough. Um, swallowing at first even hurt because that used my core muscles. Like if you clear your throat, (laughs) it actually engages your core and it's a really minimal amount. So you don't notice it. But after abdominal surgery, like I couldn't even clear my throat. So forget having an orgasm and all the ways that would cause my body to clench when my muscles couldn't physically do that and trying would have caused me a lot of pain. Of course. So yeah, sex was not on my radar. And also after my surgery, I had a fairly traumatic experience where I was overdosed on painkillers in the hospital and my breathing stopped and I had to be given Narcan to counter effect the the opiate Narcan um, anti-overdose drug. Right. And so then I went into shock because then I didn't have any painkillers and I had just had surgery probably six or eight hours before. And I was not on any painkillers. Like I'd been disemboweled, you know, had my intestines pulled out of my abdomen. (laughs) 
<laughs> then sewn together and had zero painkillers because holy fuck. of the overdose that happened wow so, yeah it was it was really hardcore so so for me um sex was not even on my radar i wasn't even thinking about it in of the hospital not. <laughs> um and it wasn't until probably two months later that i even was slightly interested in masturbating right wow that's a lot to take in um and thank you for being so vulnerable with that part because i know that those are not easy discussions to have i'll make sure that there's a content warning at the beginning of this it just says we're going to talk about medical shit like get ready because there's a lot of it but i also really appreciate that because these are conversations that i think people don't hear from disabled body people the stuff we go through just to try to be not even to be non-disabled not even to be fixed but just to feel better like this is shit that we have to go through that no one else even that people just take for granted so thank you so much for being so raw about that um one of the i want to shift gears to something a little bit lighter uh i want to ask you about you know your mission has been to normalize disabled body people in porn um you know, aside from the porn you produce, from just porn that you've watched as, as a, as, you know, both a performer and like just a consumer of porn, how do you think it is both inaccessible as a medium and how do you think it can become more accessible as a medium? Sorry, pornography that um, just features that you, like that underrepresented bodies, you mean? No, just that you, just like, the general like general porn like let's say they wanted to have a disabled performer or they have a disabled performer who maybe hasn't disclosed or even if they know disabled people are watching the porn how do you think that the the scenes could be more inclusive or accessible right um i mean one thing that i have noticed when it comes to like consuming pornography on my end is that not a lot of pornography not a lot of adult content has like subtitles or uh is it called closed captioning like that's right yeah there isn't there is none of that and i mean for myself like i i I mean i have perfect hearing it's not something that i um live with but i know people who are hard of hearing and that is something that is just not accessible i'd love to incorporate doing some closed captioning on videos that i make I'm producing my videos with iMovie. So it is going to be very painstaking to try and like add, you know, little subtitles or closed captions along the way. But it is something that I want to do and incorporate because I have never seen, and I'm sure it exists, but I have never seen anything like that. I've never seen either. So I don't, I would be, I would also almost say like, I don't know if it does because I've never, I've never. Right. And I watch a lot of porn. Yeah. So that, that needs to be more accessible, even just as an option. I don't think that it would cost production companies that much for me. It would mean like an extra three hours of sitting here doing it. That doesn't mean that I won't, but uh, it's going to be a process, but for like a large scale company, I don't see why it wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible to just have an option to turn on closed captioning. And perhaps again, perhaps some of them do, and I'm just not seeing it. And then the other thing is uh, I haven't seen any sign language. I 
wanted to incorporate sign language dirty talking into my videos. Oh, and I've be been amazing. trying so hard to find resources for sign language dirty talking. And I can't. Like I've Googled like dirty words in sign language and I like I, I haven't found anything. But I would love to make content that where I can dirty talk in sign. Uh, it could be solo content. It could be content with more than one person, but to be able to make that dirty talk accessible to, to somebody would be, um, yeah, that would be a, a really rewarding experience. I'd be really excited to be able to also learn some, some dirty talking in another language. So. It'd be so great. Like, I think that's amazing. And I, I agree with you in terms of like, I'm a, I'm a not hard of hearing person. Like I can hear, I have no issue with that. But I agree, like, I like captions. I have captions on all my TV shows anyway, because sometimes I have processing issues where, like, I didn't catch that or I didn't pay attention. And if I, if I can read the words, then, like, that's great. And to see, I would love to see, like, hot person carries X person to the bed and they then they make out. Like, I'd love to see, like, that in a caption because you never see that. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that sounds... I, I mean, for myself as well, even when I'm watching, you know, something on, on when I'm watching a movie or something, I always have the captions on, the subtitles on, and it's it's not because I am hard of hearing, it's just because I function better when I can read the dialogue yeah. rather than just hearing it. I don't, it's like I don't absorb it, and I don't know if it's just a learning style, but I don't see why that wouldn't also so I roll over into the more sexual side of film. And it should. Like, again, I don't know how exactly you would caption orgasm. Like, would it be like, would you put like the ah, ooh, ah, or would you just be like, You're and like then... moaning with yeah. little asterisks or something. <laughs> like, I don't know how that, what that would look like, um, but I think it would be an amazing, it would be a really important thing to have. Um, I also think for accessibility, like, as a performer, I would love to see studios say like, oh, you need a break to have your attendant help you go pee or you need a break to have care. Like, I'd love to see that from a more of a production side. Like, because I'm sure that there are, there are like big industry performers who have some sort of disability that they're not probably comfortable to share. Slash, if any of you are listening and want to come on the show and talk about that, it would be great. But, uh, I'm sure there are many people who have disabilities and if if production companies, you know, in my experience, it's mostly watching gay porn, but if production companies would use their kind of production company to be like, oh, you need more time to deal with that or you need this, like finding ways to build the accessibility in, I think would be really powerful. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I have only worked with smaller production companies and primarily with people that I know, friends of mine who have their own production companies that are just startups at this point or that are gaining some traction. But I haven't worked with any larger scale production companies, though I do hope to. Uh, well, it was on the agenda for this year. I don't know what this year looks like now because, I mean, as far as I know, I can't even travel to the States right now, um, nor would I at this at this current point. But Yeah, maybe you don't um, do it there though. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not right now, but um, that has been on the agenda to work with uh, like a, a larger production company. And I honestly have no idea what sorts of resources there will be or what kinds of conversations will need to happen. But 
um, I'm interested and I'll definitely keep you posted on how it goes. Yeah, I'd love to have you. But when, when you do that, I'd love to bring you back on and talk about that because I think I can only imagine that the bigger production companies probably have no idea how to manage that because and none, through no fault of their own, they probably just have never experienced that before. Um, right. When you work as a sex worker with clients, with all this, with all these things that are happening to you, how like how do you manage that if you're if you have a client and there and you're having a flare or you're having a moment or you're having um, things in your your body, but you you also want to make that income and please the client? How do you navigate that? Um, I mean, the majority of folks that I work with uh, know me and have been following me for some time. So when they want to book a show with me or someone to that effect, and maybe something comes up and I'm not feeling well, I need to push it back by a few minutes or have another day. I have never had any negative experiences with my customers or clients or fans demanding something of me that I can't provide. I've never experienced um, any negativity because I needed extra time. Uh, That being said, like, I do think that I attract a certain kind of person because if these people are booking a show with me, they're booking time with me, chances are they know that I'm disabled and they're still booking with me. And that in and of itself shows me that they're probably pretty cool, open-minded people uh so i i have had i haven't had very many negative experiences with that aside from you know people just being demanding in general as people can be very demanding of sex workers and of anybody of anyone who's providing any kind of service but especially of someone who's providing a sexual service people can be very demanding but outside of that i haven't experienced really any any negativity. I'm really glad to hear that because I would think that there might be some given how people, like you said, given how people generally treat sex workers already, plus, um, you know, just the way our society kind of both reveres them and then, and then discards them at a moment's notice when they don't give you exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that they've they the people that you've worked with have been accommodating and have not treated you like shit because that's, that's yeah really important. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like they, I mean, people do demand uh, like instant gratification, really, but um, it hasn't really. None of that negativity has been directed towards my disability as of yet. <laughs> Who knows? We know what's to come, but yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Good. Good. I'm so, so happy to hear that. This was such a fun, really informative, really like, it was just fun. I really enjoyed sitting down with you and chatting. Is there anything else you want to share that we haven't brought up yet today? Um, let me think for a second and think if there's anything else. Um, think so (laughs) sorry i wish i had a question prepared (laughs) no worries i was also not prepared and i didn't write anything down today yeah no no no, no. it's great (laughs) but i liked i liked the flow of our conversation i really appreciated you again 
being so vulnerable with the kind of the things you talk about because it's not easy to first of all we never we haven't met outside of like hey you have a cool twitter so the fact that like the fact that you're sitting down sharing all this stuff is really valuable and i hope that actually oh i have i do have one last question if you were to give advice to disabled people who maybe want to start camming or want to start doing cam sex work as a way to make further income given you know our the way our society discards disabled people who try to work so if, if somebody wants to take camming on as a as a career or as a job option what advice would you give to them yeah uh that's a good question um i mean right now is a really interesting time because because of the pandemic a lot of people are off work a lot of people are at home a lot of people are looking for maybe a side hustle so i think a lot of people are considering these various forms of sex work, whether it's, you know, doing camming or starting at OnlyFans or something like this, people are really considering doing that right now more than ever before. Right. Um, and because of that, I think that the, the market is really oversaturated. I think that there has been a huge influx in the amount of people who are starting to do camming or creating subscription sites, starting to do porn, trying to make their own porn. Um, so there's like a, a, a big oversaturation, I think, of new kind of faces in the market. And that can be a challenge because when there's so many people for someone to choose from when they log onto a campsite, yeah. uh, what makes you stand out? What makes you different, right? Um, so for me, I've actually found that leaning into my disability and talking about it, being really open about it and starting conversations about it has in a way actually set me apart from I was just gonna say yeah yeah because I mean I was camming for probably five five six years before my surgery um and I mean I was I, I would say I was pretty successful at it um but I was just sort of another tattooed cam model you know just kind of like another another person and i of course have my own way of being individual and i did my own themed shows and things that i think gained me some some notoriety but i think that since i've actually leaned into my disability started talking about it it's actually brought me more opportunities in my career than i could have possibly imagined and in a way, it gets bittersweet because I don't really want to only be known and only be successful because of this adversity and because of this thing that's really challenging and that like I really resent in my life. But then on the other side, I'm like, man, if I have to live my life with this really difficult thing that I deal with every day, why wouldn't I also use it to my advantage? If it's holding me back, why don't I also allow it to lift me up and yeah. so i would say that like if you're worried about getting into sex work because of your disability i wouldn't shy away from actually leaning into that and using your disability to it's your best selling point i mean it really is yeah it is and like that doesn't mean you have to fetishize it that doesn't mean you have to you know and, and if that's something you do want to do if that's how you do want to be portrayed then like also power to you yeah. but it doesn't mean that you have to do that. Uh, it just yeah. means that it, it can be something that actually can set you apart and lift you up above the other people who are doing the same thing that you are. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something 
I was gonna end it right there, but you said something so interesting when you were just talking about it that I want to touch on it before I forget. You said yeah. part of this experience you resent it, and I'm curious. Like you said that so nonchalantly, but at the same time, I could tell there was a lot of feeling behind what you said. So yeah. I'm curious, like, in what ways, like, why do you? And, and there's no judgment here. I'm simply just generally asking. Right. Why, why do you? Why? What? Why do I resent my disability? Yeah. I struggle every day with my body. I mean, at every moment of every day, I am thinking about this, you know, medical equipment that is attached to my body. And yeah, I mean, I resent that. I resent, I absolutely resent this part of my body. I resent this part of myself in many ways. Um, I will probably never sleep through the night again. You know, I have to get up two to three times in the night, get up, turn the lights on, go to the washroom, empty my ostomy. I have to be awake. I have to be alert. I have to be, you know, focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. So I don't sleep properly. I'm going to have to be constantly maintaining my hydration, my electrolytes. I'm constantly worried about if it's visible through my clothing. I'm constantly worried about... Um, I'm I'm worried it's gonna like make noise or something when I'm when I'm out in public or if I'm if I'm trying to engage in sex because if I'm trying to have a podcast interview and like I'm worried it's going to interrupt I'm worried it's gonna be loud I'm worried I'm gonna have to use the washroom like I just can't I don't I can never I can never relax like I can't lay down in the middle of the day and take a nap because if I lay down the filter in my ostomy bag will be damaged um, because I'll be horizontal and it's, it's sort of like this technical thing about the way that it works and then for the rest of the day I'll be uncomfortable because I'll have a gas buildup that I can't address and so it's like it affects me and everything that I do and the types of clothes that I have to buy and the types of food that I have to wear even something as simple as going out for a meal means having to explain to the server why I have to make sure there are no mushrooms and peppers in my salad and that no, no, it's not a deathly allergy, but if you put mushrooms in my salad, I will have to go to the hospital and have my stomach cut open and have my bowels cut open and a mushroom removed because I can't digest it. So like, please don't put mushrooms in the salad. And then the salad shows up and it has mushrooms and it's just like, it's a constant it's a constant worry it's a constant aggravator a stressor totally yeah and so there's a lot of resentment there and like i don't know if that's something that gets better i mean maybe you can speak to that i don't know like it doesn't get to go away like i don't think it you know i've been disabled 36 years and i've really been a disabled activist for the last 10 um 10 plus years I don't think it ever goes away. It ebbs and flows and you kind of get to a place where you're like, all right, I can manage it today. And then you have days where you're like, fuck this. I don't like it. It's the worst. I want to be upset about it. I want to be angry. I'm going to scream about it because I really hate it and it really bugs me. And then you wake up the next day and you keep going. But a lot of what I say in my work is that like, I have days where I hate it and I fucking wish it would go away. But that doesn't mean I'm not proud of it. That doesn't mean I'm not, it isn't a part of who I am. It doesn't mean I'm going to run away from it. That doesn't mean I would ask to be not disabled. It means I would ask to remove some aspects of my disability for sure. Like if I could take a pill 
and walk for 24 hours, for sure I would fucking take that pill without question. But that doesn't mean that I would denounce being a disabled person. So mm-hmm. I think you'll find as you, and you're, you're so fresh into it, that like all these feelings are super valid and you should feel every single one of them because it's very real. But I, I feel like as you go through that experience, you will learn more about how to manage it so it becomes less of a stressor. And maybe right. at some point you can make a mushroom joke and it won't hurt so much so you can play with it more. But like right now you should feel all the feelings and let it be whatever it is. But yeah. as somebody who who has both acquired disabilities and was congenitally born with disabilities, the feelings never go away. They just ebb and flow. So I hope right. that gives you some comfort in that like it'll it'll always be there, but you can you'll learn how to manage it. Right. Thank you. And like it also, I mean, question, I don't, if this is too personal, obviously you don't need to no, answer no. it, but have you, um, have you had experiences with therapy and have you found that therapy and counseling have been helpful for you? Therapy was, I did it for a couple of years back in like 20, 2012 through about, no, 2010 to about 2012, I did it. Um, Wait, no, I'm like 2012 to 2014, yeah. And I did it back in my, my university days, back in like 06 and something. But I found it was really hard because I was a disabled person sitting across from a counselor who wasn't disabled, who had none of my experiences, who didn't understand what ableism was. And they were all very nice and they tried and they gave me the, like, the cookie cutter things to say and they gave me ideas and they talked me through. But I would have to spend the majority of my sessions teaching a, a non-disabled uh, therapist what disability was and I was like that's that's really fr- I wish I could sit across from a disabled person and just be upset with them and sit across mm-hmm. from in my case a wheelchair user and just bitch about how much I hated being a wheelchair user some days and so that's part of why I love doing this podcast because I get to sit with people like you and just talk about the shit that pisses us off so yeah. I I would say if you can find a disabled counselor who maybe has disclosed they have invisible disabilities that or like other disabilities, that might be a great option. But there's, it's, they're so rare in, the, in that community, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, that I didn't find counseling super helpful. I found talking to the disabled community via mm-hmm. Twitter, via Instagram, you know, doing the work I do via this podcast, I found that much more cathartic than I did going every week to a counselor, spending right. a couple hundred dollars to be told, oh, you're disabled, right. but I don't get that. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I have, um, I do have a therapist that I see and they have a, uh, a, a disabled child. So it's not quite, it's not quite on the level of like necessarily understanding exactly where I'm at, yeah. but I do know that like they live with a very constant, um, R- very constant maintenance and like support of someone who they're very scared will at any moment, um, you know, die or be very sick. So I definitely, I I think you're right. And I think that like, it has been really helpful to know that like they, although they haven't like walked in these shoes, uh, they don't know where I am. They haven't, you know, lived my life with an ostomy or like whatever a person's disability might be. I think it has, um, 
I think it has been helpful, but what you said about connecting with other people who have the same disability as you, um, or even completely different disabilities, or even a completely different different disability. That's right. I think that that is, um, yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely a useful tool. And I guess on that note, like if anybody who is listening has an ostomy and wants to reach out, like, please do so reach out to me on Twitter, reach out to me on, you know, Instagram. Like I, I definitely find messages from other ostomates or disabled people, you know, whatever your disability may be, I find it really encouraging and helpful. And even though I can't always respond immediately or in depth, like, it, it definitely does help me to know that other people are in the same place as me. So if anybody out there is listening and wants to connect, I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes. How can you, and so how do people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? How do they, what's your Twitter, your Instagram? How do people? Yes. Uh... Yes. Thank you. My Twitter is go ask Alex online. Do you want me to spell that? I guess it's probably. No, I, I have it there. I, yeah, you've got it. Um, I'm just looking for, I think my Instagram is the same, but I'm just going to double check. Whoa. I just changed it. So yeah, I think it's just go ask Alex online on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And I will, I will make sure I'll go look myself to make sure that, that, just in case it did change, it's right. And I'll make sure that all the right ones are on there. This is such a great interview and I had so much fun. And uh, just thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was wonderful. It was wonderful chatting with you. It was such a pleasure. And we will, I want to have you back when you finally get that industry shoot. I want to- I would love that. I'm all for it. Bring you back and talk about how that was. Yeah, it's great. That sounds good to me. All right, we'll talk soon, Alex. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, friends, this has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one career cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020